You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and we're back. And has Robin ever mentioned that she hates updates on Windows? <laughs> ah! <laughs> and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, where it's bright and sunny, and it's already becoming fire season here in Oregon. Uh, And at the same time, it is tree pollen season. If I sound a little bit nasal, that's why. Uh, Definitely um, been pretty tough today in the last couple days with that that dry air and that hard wind blowing. Uh, Pollen counts are through the roof. Um, So we got a lot to talk about other than tree pollen and computer rebooting here on the Bose Nose Show. And I apologize to everybody out there for us getting on a little bit late. Had to shut down and reboot the computers in order to get on. Because <laughs> the Windows update froze the computers. Uh, you know how it is. Uh, so, you know, we are student-run radio, so you've got to forgive us a little bit. <laughs> hey, I resemble that. Hey, yeah, so do I. Uh, but we we got a lot to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show. And one of the things I want to talk about is a study that Ernst & Young uh, completed for the Oregon Forest Industry Council. And Ernst & Young is known as one of the big four accounting firms. It used to be the big five, um, but I think one of them merged with another um, but I remember my friends that were taking accounting in college, um, you know, would want, you know, that was one of their desires was to get a, get on with one of the big, big five firms or something, you know, and move their way up the corporate ladder. Uh, it, and as one of those big four firms that they're, they're really um, have a big reputation to protect. They're well known and, they're about producing reproducible results so that, you know, they keep their reputation, all that stuff. They did a study, and the study was about the tax burden on the forest industry and forest products industry from, you know, from harvest, you know, and management of the, of the forest lands through milling and, and all that. Um, and their study clearly shows that if you take the total state and local taxes they could identify and divide it by 
the uh, um, value, you know, the added value to the Oregon economy of the industry that the forest industry is actually paying significantly more taxes than the rest of the businesses in Oregon. In fact, it's almost 50% more, um, depending on which business you're looking at. Uh, if you look at the, and this is without the um, taxes paid for fire assessments, which significantly adds to the forest size, they're paying about 4.8% of their value, of their value, you know, added product, um, their portion of the gross domestic product, product of Oregon. Uh, they're paying about 4.8%. Uh, if you look at agriculture, it's paying about 3.6%. If you look at manufacturing, which includes people like Intel, it's 1.9%. And if you do all Oregon business, you know, every business in Oregon, it's about 3.5%. If you include the the fire protection fees that all, all the woodland owners and, and forest owners pay, and farmers pay it too, it goes up to 6% for the forest industry, 4.3% for agriculture, and of course, manufacturing stays at 1.9 because they don't pay those assessments, and so and it doesn't really move the needle for all Oregon businesses because that includes so much uh, more gross domestic product that the added taxes for the fire assessments don't really move that three and a half. So you're talking about the timber industry paying 6% versus the average Oregon business paying three and a half percent tax burden, state and local taxes. And one of the things that the study didn't include because they couldn't really, they only looked at two portions of the forest product industry the logging side of things and the manufacturing portion of the wood products like the milling and, and uh, that end. They didn't look at the transportation portion of the, log, the wood products industry because they couldn't tease that out of the transportation sector um, numbers that the state of Oregon keeps. But there's a significant amount of trucking that's involved in the forest products industry, which all pays, you know, the registration fees on an 18-wheeler are like substantial, about $18,000 a year, and the uh, weight mile taxes, which are huge. So uh, when you start thinking about, and logging trucks pay an extra $10 a load, you know, on, uh, you know for uh, there's a specific excise fee on log loads. So, you know, all that wasn't counted. All those taxes and fees, they, they were trying to be conservative in their estimate for the tax burden on the forest industry. So if they couldn't get an accurate number, they didn't count it. Like one of the fees they didn't count was every time a uh, woodland owner wants to burn slash, they have to pay for a permit to burn that slash. Those fees weren't included because they couldn't track them. So there's lots of fees that weren't included, but there's a whole lot that was, like the property taxes paid on the forest property owners, the property taxes paid by mill owners, including business property taxes on all that equipment in the mills, um, 
you know, the and a whole bunch of other taxes. So just based on that, the forest industry pays significantly more taxes than a lot of other industries. And other industries that have been given huge tax breaks in the state. Think about Intel and Nike up there in Washington County and some of the big tax breaks they've been given. Yet everyone's claiming somehow or another that the forest industry is getting by without paying their fair share of taxes, and there should be a new tax called a severance tax passed by the state to recruit that lost tax income. It's like, what are they talking about? And at the same time, the same people that want to pass this new tax on the timber industry and the forest products industry are the same ones that are trying to do all sorts of crazy things to prevent the housing crisis, including, you know, the the idiotic idea of statewide rent control, which we've talked about on the Bo's Nose Show. Don't Don't quite understand that all these taxes that they put on the forest products industry ends up being recouped in the price of lumber. What do you need to build housing? Lumber. What's at record highs right now? Lumber, because housing is at record demand. So here we have a clear study that shows the forest products industry in the state of Oregon pays more than their fair share of taxes. Yet we have legislators that want to add tax burden to that industry, an industry that pays family wage level incomes to their employees with benefits. This isn't the service industry. This isn't some, you know, hotels with, with, maid service that barely anyone can get by, you know, working as a maid or, you know, restaurants with kitchen workers. Um, This is an industry that, you know, on a log landing, the starting wage is $20 an hour for a choker setter. And it moves up from there. So, you know, that's really, um, when you think about this industry, it's an industry that pays good wages family, you know, wage, as people like to talk about it. They want to add taxes to this industry that produces a product that's critical to resolving our housing shortages and don't quite get the fact that it's going to make the housing shortages worse. And if they suppress that industry, they're going to have people losing family wage jobs. So it was an interesting study, and and it really gets even more interesting if you look at what's happening over the next several years with the industry. Now that study where that 4.8% tax burden before the fire assessments um, was was basically based on what fiscal year 2019 data. And that's state fiscal year, so that ends in, in June of 2019. And they don't have enough data to do 2020, but they estimated with the phasing in of the corporate activities tax, that that burden's gonna jump to 5.3%, which is basically a 10% increase in the burden. 
And then when in 2021, the corporate activities tax will have a full year. It only has a half year of, in the fiscal year 2020 because it started January 2020. And in fiscal year 2021, it'll have been in for the entire, so you have 5.4% tax burden. And then in 2022, there's a new tax that comes on the books for Oregon businesses that's the family leave tax. And that's going to jump their burden up to 5.7%. So, you know, it's it continues to, it's not just that it's already ahead of everybody. Now, all the rest of the, the businesses are having the same thing happen with the increasing tax burden. So they're paying more than any other industry, basically, a, a tax burden, and it's going to—it's already set to increase with what's already on the books in Oregon. So, you know, think about, you know, where that that money is going to get made up in the system. You either have to automate and figure out how to get rid of employees and save money that way, or you you raise your prices lower dividends, whatever it is, you know, that the taxes get that get sucked into the state have to be made up somewhere, and it usually is in the end price to the consumer. And we all know we're in the housing crisis. I mean, the state had to put in a eviction, you know, moratorium to prevent people from being evicted during uh, Governor Brown's, you know, COVID shutdowns, and, you know, that's really, you know, a wave of people that are sitting on past due rents right now that we really haven't seen yet have to scramble for either cheaper housing or are going to end up homeless and need services. I don't know what's going to happen when they lift that moratorium. It's going to be... Um, Kind of a crazy scene, but we really, uh, you know, it's really makes you wonder, you know, what's going to happen. Yet somewhere, Representative Paul Hovey has decided that the timber industry isn't paying their fair share, doesn't understand that taxing them is going to only raise the cost of housing in the in the state and country because Oregon supplies most of the lumber for this country. We're the largest producer of dimensional lumber. In the country, uh, yeah. So if we start taxing that industry, we're talking about hurting the housing market for the entire country. Um, it just doesn't make sense. And I, I just don't don't understand why they're heading that direction. But if you have a reason why they should be raising taxes on the timber industry, or you don't agree with the Ernst and Young study, you can always give us a call here on the Bose Nose Show because of Student-run radio, I forgot to give out our number at the top of the show, is 646-721-9887. And that's how you can reach us on the Bose Nose Show. And just press 1 because that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, and computer uh, having to reboot her uh, person <laughs> know you want to get in on the air. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. Uh, you know, and we're, we're kind of old students, you know. Yeah, we are, both of us. <laughs> old students that, that uh, get daily mail from, uh, you know, the, uh, the various uh, 
elderly organizations that want us to join to get discounts. <laughs> but I digress. Uh, <laughs> we are of a certain age, aren't we, Robin? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, both of us both of us remember Watergate. If that just can kind of put you put you where we are. I was a teenager still, but I remember it because <laughs> my father car- 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 uh, my father covered the hearings on CBS Radio uh, live uh, when I was a kid. Well, a teenager. <laughs> so, ah, uh, yes, my connection to Richard Milhouse Nixon. <laughs> I never met Tricky Dick, but I did meet President Johnson at one point when I was a little boy, and I was a really little boy at that time, and he was a giant of a man to me. I mean, he was, I mean, I was almost afraid of him. He was such a big man. My hand disappeared in his when he shook it. So, but I digress. Not a crook. Yes, I am not equipped. But back on to the, the whole timber taxation thing, I, I, I've been joined by dual poodles here, which you can't quite see on screen. If you're wondering what's distracting me, you kind of see a tail wagging in the background there, <laughs> if you're watching on Facebook Live. Back to timber taxation, you know, I encourage people to you know uh, go and, and look at this study, look how detailed it was. Um, they're very upfront about what the limitations of the study are. They have that imprint and all that. I believe it might be available through the Oregon Forest Industry Council website. If not, I've got a PDF link I can send to people if you contact us through the show. Um, you know, talk at, at um, KRBN. Ah, I'm screwing it up. <laughs> Our email, Robin, save me. KRBNRadio.net. Yeah. I want to put news there somewhere. KRBNRadio.net. Now you got me going. (laughs) Talk at KRBN, not KRVM, KRBNRadio.net. If you don't get that, that's kind of a short for K. Robin. Hey, my station, I can call it what I want. So krbn.net. So yeah, give us yeah, drop me a line. I'll forward you a link to that PDF. Um, you guys can look at it, um, but it clearly shows that there's not some big cheat going on. And there's a lot of confusion out there because people hear about forest property tax deferrals. There is a program for that but it's available to small woodland owners. You can't own more than a, a certain acreage and qualify for that. And, and it's not just the parcel size, it's your total woodland ownership. So Weyerhaeuser uh, and, you know, Stimson and the large woodland owners in, in Oregon, they can't qualify. Um, it's only the small guys. The family-owned 
you know, timber owners get below a certain level can apply and receive a deferral of property taxes. And it's a reduction while the trees are growing. And when they harvest at the time of harvest, they pay a, a, a makeup tax. And some people refer to that as a severance tax. It's not quite a severance tax, but it, it's at the time of harvest, they, they kind of pay all that back deferred property tax. And the reason we do that for small woodland owners is they don't have the ability to rotate where they're harvesting around a large amount of woodland so they have a constant source of income to pay the property taxes. Warehouser pays property tax on the current value of their forest lands. In fact, they are the single largest property tax payer in Lane County between their woodland holdings and their mill sites. If you add it all together, they are the number one taxpayer in Lane County. Think about that one for a minute. That's property taxes only. But, and, and so all these people that think somehow or another they're getting out of paying taxes, nope, they're paying their fair share. In fact, they're paying more than their fair share if you look at it as a tax burden compared to other businesses and the manufacturing industry. So, you know, don't let people fool you. And probably the easiest way to think about it is we're paying it. The timber industry is paying at least 50% more than other businesses in Oregon. It's a simple way to think of it. So why are you going to start taxing them more, particularly when the taxes show up in the price of their product, which is critical to housing? in the middle of a housing shortage where housing is going through the roof as far as prices go. In fact, I had somebody contact me the other day that was is doing a remodel, you know, adding a room to a house and has had their permit delayed some. And during the delays of their permit being issued, the, the contractor had to renegotiate the price of the addition with them because the lumber for the addition has gone up so much during the time of that delay that it's actually costing him a, a, a whole lot more to add a room to his house. And it's moving that fast. So we really um, have to be careful about what we do when it, about adding to that cost. If anything, we should be looking at ways of reducing the tax burden and making it cheaper to build houses. We should also be looking at ways to move those permits faster, which is one of the reasons why I voted to approve those seven additional positions in our permit department last week, you know, along with you know, while we were waiving permit fees for the fire victims, we also added a bunch of staff. We'd added three previously, so we've added 10 staff to our permit department in the last six months. Well, I should say we've authorized 10 new staff. I think we've only hired three, and we were in the process of trying to hire that additional seven right now. Hopefully, we'll move permits a little faster. 
but um, that's, you know, one of the things we got to do, try and get more houses built, is get more permits issued and not add tax cost onto an already expensive commodity for housing. So, but, you know, speaking of housing, it seems like um, even Eugenians have finally gotten fed up with the number of homeless in Eugene. I, I had a call from a business owner in West Eugene who I will not name because um, I don't want to hurt their business or have him get any repercussions, but their business is in an industrial park with a street that has commercial parking only signage on the street because they have to um, queue 18-wheelers getting in and out, loading docks and stuff, and they got to maneuver 18-wheelers on this on this street. Well, lo and behold, like a lot of streets in West Eugene industrial areas, first one RV parked, then two, then three or four, and then the street became lined with RVs to the point where they can't maneuver the 18-wheelers around easily to get in and out of these facilities. And, of course, some of these spaces were also used by employees as overflow parking, no longer available now. They're dealing with the garbage. And, you know, one of the things he says, a nightly occurrence, in the evening, cars show up, because I guess some of these people are working, which, you know, is a good thing. But the cars show up with the family and all that stuff, and then the street becomes a playground, and kids are running up and down the street and, and running, you know, everything from, you know, motorbikes and, you know, their, their Barbie electric cars up and down the street, making it, you know, pretty unsafe if an 18-wheeler has to enter the street. And then they end up with music and bonfires and everything else, and it becomes like a street party almost every night out there. Um, and I don't want, you know, there's other things that are happening, you know, drug use and a few other things going on out there. But just, you know, finally enough people were fed up that the city of Eugene kind of got an earful on Monday night when they had their city council meeting, particularly from business owners, talking about how their employees can't even get in their businesses, similar to what this gentleman was describing to me. And uh, City of Eugene is going to try and do something about it. They're going to try and uh, make some tent and park uh, vehicle camping available in some other areas and try and move these people out of these industrial areas. Uh, we'll see how successful that is. Uh, you know, the last several attempts to congregate this sort of camping uh, in um, government-run sort of camps like that has usually resulted in um, some pretty lawless situations um, where they, they're, it hasn't been successful. So I, I don't know what the real answer is, but apparently even the folks in Eugene are finally, in some ways, getting fed up with just being the, the open arms. We're, we're okay with the homeless being here. It, you know, you, you can't, you shouldn't, you know, 
do anything about it because they they can't help it. It's not their fault and all that stuff. And people are starting starting to see, yeah, maybe this looks more like a lifestyle and and or and or a choice by some of these people. And maybe they're not really being responsible citizens and being held accountable for their behaviors. And uh, I think that's starting to impact businesses, and that's kind of where it starts to to really um, get the city council's attention because businesses mean taxes. <laughs> and uh, they're not getting a great reputation as Eugene is now the number one city for homeless per capita in the country. And number one by good ways. So just think about that a little bit according to a, a recently re- released study. So if you're kind of thinking that there's a lot of homeless people in Eugene and more than you see in other towns, you're right, because there are. Number one. Eugene's number one. Uh, That's a distinction I really wouldn't want to be. And you kind of got to wonder how much of that's the result of Measure 110. And the complete decriminalization, basically, of drug use in the state, where it's become a misdemeanor that you get a, 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 a piece of paper saying you either have to pay a fine or attend a class or get access services, and which is pretty meaningless to somebody in full-blown addiction. Um, whether or not people are coming here from other areas because they don't want to end up in jail in those other states that hold them accountable for their behaviors. Because for the most part, some of these people that are addicted are committing crimes to pay for the drugs for their addictions because you can't take an Oregon Trail card and purchase meth or, you know, opioids with it. But, uh, you know, there are some folks out there that are out there because of the high cost of housing. Let's go back to my initial conversation about taxing the timber industry. Um, and it's you know surprising how little people get that they're, they're doing things to add to the cost of housing at, when they're elected officials. And you know it's interesting to watch the city of Eugene suddenly get an earful about homelessness And it's the same city council that oversaw the Envision Eugene process that basically manipulated data and and manipulated um, assumptions to come out with a result that said they didn't need additional land for housing. Try and buy a house or, or rent an apartment in Eugene to find out how expensive it is. So those of you that, you know, are, are all saying, well, it's really about cost and people are, are losing their housing because of COVID and it's not their fault and all that stuff. Well, you might want to also talk to your city council about maybe going back and relooking at Envision Eugene, looking at how they can be proactive to encourage housing. I watched the city of Springfield. They're doing everything they can to encourage housing. I mean, several years ago, they did a lot to reduce um, their uh, 
system development charges for affordable housing projects. They, when the state said you need to allow for affordable uh, uh, accessory dwelling units in, in backyards, the city of Springfield changed their code immediately and actually did things to promote people putting them in, made it easy for them. City of Eugene, nope. They dug their heels in and basically said, state, you can't really make us do this. And, and actually people had to go after the city legally to try and force them to, to add ADUs to their zoning codes. Because, you know, once you live in South Eugene, you don't want your neighbor putting in a rental in behind their house because, oh, my gosh, you know, we're South Eugene, not my backyard. They're all for, uh, you know, trying to fix homelessness as long as it isn't in their backyard. So you kind of really got to wonder about it you know, some of the commitment to resolving the homeless situation for some of these elected officials that are all concerned about it, but turn around and take actions that say they really aren't. So moving on to other topics, I wanted to talk a little bit about COVID and then I want to talk a little bit about the legislature and crossover and a few other things. But I'll, I'll pause and give the phone number again because I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. There's a topic I haven't brought up and you're, you're dying to talk about it. Give us a call here at 646-721-9887 and just press one so you, we know you want to get in on the air, excuse me. <clears throat> a little water wet the whistle. I, like I said, it's pollen season, <coughs> and I'm struggling. Uh, I lost my voice the other the other day in the middle of a conversation because of the pollen. So hopefully that won't happen today. Um, but uh, anything you want to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show again six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. Just press one so we know you want to get in on the air. Um, but let's talk a little bit about COVID because uh, it's been in the news a lot. And we got our, our quote, warning week um, email from the governor's office uh, yesterday. And right now, if nothing changes between now and the end of the week, as far as case counts go, we are going to move from low risk to high risk a week from Friday on the 23rd which will not be good for our restaurants because that cuts back their capacity again. I think they're down, they, they would, I think they're allowed to have 25% capacity <clears throat> at that point. Um, and it just, and there are other restrictions, you know, theaters have to reduce capacity. You know, it, it's not a good thing to be going backwards. So it'd be great if we could keep our case count down. I don't, you know, we're, we were up a little bit higher about a week or so ago. With our daily numbers, they've come down a little bit, but they're not coming down far enough, fast enough. 
to, to keep us out of that high risk. You know, but if they were to come down pretty fast, we might be able to drop at least a moderate. I don't think we can stay in low. Uh, I don't think we can drop them fast enough to avoid that because it's a two-week average. Um, so that that's what's going on, and it's happening around the state. Almost every county's moved up. And it, fortunately, they're not putting counties into extreme risk now because they've decided, you know, finally, to not just look at case count, but to look at hospital capacity and whether there's, you know, surge capacity left in the hospitals in the regions that these, these uh, counties are located. And it has never been, even when Lane County was in our extreme risk case count-wise, we never were at risk of running out of hospital capacity in, Lane, in the Lane County regional area. So with kind of, you know, that extreme risk restrictions, which allowed no in, in restaurant dining, everything had to be outdoors or takeout, you know, and basically a lot of businesses like gymnasiums were closed and, and all that. Um, it didn't make sense. And it was part of what I was, I was really angry about at the time was that the metrics being used to determine the risk weren't really looking at every every aspect of a of a county, so to speak, and weren't necessarily fair to some counties like ours that are so large that you really can't hold Florence accountable for high case counts occurring in downtown Eugene and and close their restaurants down. So at least we got one portion of that metric fixed and added in this issue of hospital capacity to the extreme risk category. Now, if they would only start looking at some of the other issues of metrics, um, it'd be helpful. But at the same time, we are increasing the amount of vaccination in Oregon and Lane County. Now, we got some bad news around the Johnson & Johnson vaccine uh, where they screwed up that production batch, and now there's been six cases of uh, dangerous side effects from it, so they held up um, doing additional vaccines with the, the pre-production uh, problem um, vaccine uh, until they can determine if there really is an issue with the vaccine side effect-wise. You know, the Johnson Johnson at least had that, it was a one-dose vaccine, which a lot of people appreciate not having to go back. I've received my first dose of the Pfizer vaccine uh, last Friday, less than a week ago. Um, finally was eligible and got my first dose. Um, Elizabeth's getting her second dose on Saturday because she became eligible ahead of me because she has asthma and some other issues that qualified her ahead of me, <laughs> even though I'm older. I don't have those, those qualified health issues. Um, but, you know, we, we're getting higher and higher in the vaccination rate, but it's still far too low to be close, anywhere close to herd immunity. People still have to pay attention to good hygiene, and, you know, the things you need to do to prevent transmission of a communicable disease. COVID's still dangerous. Even though we've vaccinated a lot of our seniors, we haven't gotten them all. 
there's a, you know, the first 80%, you know, so many percent of the, you know, people is easy to reach and the last bunch are the hardest and take the most effort. One, some of them are refusing the vaccine. Some of them, you know, are just being, are difficult to reach and, you know, not in situations where they're getting help from family members to access the vaccine. Um, you know, that, that sort of thing. And there's, what we're seeing also now is the hospitalizations are younger people and we're seeing deaths in younger people now. And we're not sure if that's because we've got some of the variants from other, you know, countries that have different impact on, on a younger age group, or if that's just um, a sign that what, what we're seeing with the transmissions are in younger people. We're also starting to see transmissions in what they refer to as student age population under age 16. Um, that's not near the college age folks uh, because of the school's reopening. So we, we still have to be wary. We still have to do all those things we've been telling you to do, you know, wash your hands, wear a mask, don't touch your face, stay home if you're sick, keep six feet apart from people if, if you can. Um, all those things are smart things to do. And they help keep our case counts down, which is unfortunately the major metric OHA and the state are looking at to determine whether a county is in whatever risk level. And it has a big impact on our small businesses. I mean, Kroger's, i.e. Fred Meyer, and Costco, and Walmart aren't hurting. Amazon's not hurting because OHA and the governor decide to shut down restaurants, close gymnasiums, and limit, you know, um, theaters and, and everybody and size of gatherings down. That doesn't affect those guys. They, in fact, they're doing really well right now. So if you're one of these people that really likes small local businesses, do your job. Keep the case counts down. You know, whether you agree it's a dangerous disease or not, every positive test is a case count that adds to that risk level that the counties see. And if we can keep those case counts down, we may be able to, to avoid you know, damaging those small businesses, which is where I would like to see things happen. Plus, it keeps more people employed. That's my soapbox moment for the day is to maintain that social distance. And, you know, we are at a point where um, the legislature today is a magic day. At the end of the day today, if a bill hasn't moved out of its respective house, it dies, with the exception of certain committees where bills never die, which that makes it them committees where bills get parked quite often so they don't die, which are the revenue committees, the rules committees, uh, you know, Things like that. So when you hear about something got moved from, say, the uh, 
Judicial Committee to rules, that was parking it so it wouldn't die and can be brought back to life all the way up to sine die and the end of the uh, legislative session. So be wary of things get moved into those, you know, and, you know, ways and means is another committee that never dies. So those are the, you know, the House and Senate side, any of those committees, the bill's been moved over there. It's been parked to prevent it from dying. But we're going to see tomorrow probably you'll hear about a bunch of bills that just didn't make it through the process. And some people will be lamenting some of them. Some people will be cheering that they finally died. And I'm usually the one that's cheering they finally died. Because <laughs> it seems like, uh, you know, I don't understand the need to add to our, our legal burdens sometimes that legislators feel. They invent reasons to pass legislation that often is not well thought out and with a lack of understanding of the unintended consequences of passing that piece of legislation. Um, but we're looking at, you know, one of their, quote, witching hours today called crossover, um, and that's meaning crossover from one house to the other. So we'll see if some of the things like the, uh, the lock your guns up bill that's in the house, whether that gets moved, uh, whether we see um, – you know, some of the other craziness like the uh, severance taxes and stuff, but I think those have got moved to revenue, so they can't, they're not totally dead yet. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see a whole bunch and hear a whole bunch probably starting uh, Thursday and Friday as people figure out what died and what stayed alive, what was parked in one of those safe committees. Uh, what bills may have been parked in one of those state committees with the sole purpose of being gut and stuffed later on. And if you've never heard the term gut and stuffed, basically um, the first words in a, a legislative bill are, you know, it talks about what it's pertaining to. And if it has a, mo a general enough pertaining to statement, they can gut and stuff it with just about anything that fits that subject. So you'll see bills with very broad pertaining to statements parked in these safe committees, waiting to be gut and stuffed with something that, that they didn't want to put out for the public to see early. It's a devious way of hiding your agenda from the public. <coughs> and I predict we may see a gut and stuff to push forward a carbon tax or something like that late in the session. They haven't done it yet. There's nothing proposed sitting there now, but you got to watch out. Keep your eyes open. So interesting, you know, crossover kills some bills. It keeps some things alive, and it also offers an opportunity to park, you know, bills with the right pertaining to in a safe committee and pull them out later and gut and stuff with an amendment where basically the amendment is to remove the entire bill's language and replace it with a completely different set of language that just has to tie to the pertaining to statement. You know, pertaining to taxation. <laughs> wow, that's a pretty broad subject. Yeah. So that that's kind of where you get those gut and stuff bills.
Ah, uh, yes. So, and cut, cut and stuff can be used productively. There's times when a fix needs to be made to some statutory language because there's something causing a problem, a realistic, one of those unintended consequences out there. Sometimes gut and stuffing a bill is the only way to get that fixed late in the session. If it was something that didn't get introduced and you couldn't get it in in time to meet some of the other deadlines. You know, if, this, if the issue came up late and it needs a fix, sometimes a gut and stuff is the only way to fix that kind of an issue. The real thing is you should be careful about what you pass in the first place. So you don't have those unintended consequences that need to be fixed. Ah, uh, yes. So, got about five minutes or so left here on the Bose Nose Show, although we got about a five-minute late start today due to our computer Microsoft lovely update, automatic update issues that caused our computers to freeze, or I should say Robin's computers to freeze, and had to do a reboot and reconnect with Skype to the show and all that stuff. You guys don't see all that stuff happens in the background. It gets me live not only on blog talk audio-wise, but also makes me live on Facebook video-wise, That Robin, the magic that Robin does in the background. Um, usually all gets done, you know, half hour to 20 minutes before the show starts, and we had to reboot five minutes before the show started, so we were five minutes late getting back on. Um, so we apologize for that, but that's Bill Gates and Microsoft. Yes, and I'd like to thank Bill for taking a really super powerful computer and making it about the equivalent of a Commodore 64. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, it's not like you don't have uh, every memory card stuffed into that thing and, and lots of RAM and all that good stuff, fast, fast processors. He managed to tie that up. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to figure it out and do some tweaking. Yep. Uh, computer tweaking, not the other type of tweaking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not like the people out on the industrial areas in, in West Eugene. <laughs> yeah, them. By the way, I want my catalytic converter back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we talked about that one before. Um, speaking of things, the legislature should just get done before crossover. Yeah. I haven't checked on that bill. I should check on that bill. Um, but, you know, they did manage to pass out of one of the houses with unanimous vote, a bill that would actually fix a loophole in our criminal statutes that severely punish coaches for sexually assaulting players but allows teachers to get away with a wrist slap for doing the same thing. You know, that passed unanimously uh, recently uh, to kind of fix that prob problem. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Two days in jail and five years probation for sexually assaulting a teenager. And people wonder why we passed Measure 11 twice. I don't know. They're trying to take the uh, what was it? What's her name? The Congress lady that wants to get rid of police altogether, a leave or 
No, that's a, that's an antacid. Ilan um, Omar. Yeah. It's like sure. Let's take away let's take away your guns. Take away your your police. Um, do we have to get a permit to dig a cave and hide in it? Yeah, probably. I, I imagine there's some kind of permit requirement for that. And then, of course, you're going to have to get it inspected. You're going to have to have the proper shoring. <laughs> you know, and, and, of course, we'll have to make sure that that cave doesn't have racist overtones. And speaking of that, Next week, I saw on, I, I haven't been able to access the background materials, but next Wednesday, the Board of Commissioners is going to be looking at a, an ordinance to declare a public health emergency due to racism. Huh? Yeah. So, um, now, I do know that there is racial disparities in health outcomes. That may not always be due to racism. Some of them are. Um, but I think uh, declaring a public health emergency around this has got to have some other political agenda behind it. And I will, I will, for next week's show, we'll probably be talking about that. But I will be looking into that, what is being proposed. Because when this was initially talked about at the board, the one question I asked was, is please have a definition of racism in the ordinance because as we talked about last week on the Bose Nose show now teaching mathematics in certain ways is considered racist evergreens are now racist and chronological museum displays are racist what yep you know now I know why Elon Musk is working so hard to get um, his space program off the ground. He just wants to get the hell off this crazy planet. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Mars will be better. Uh, I, you know, it, to me, you know, the epitome of racism is thinking that there is more than one race other than the human race. That there's some way of subdividing humans into races and then on top of that that some races are more superior than others that's racism the student to show their work on a math problem is not racist i am shaking my head of course i saw a video recently where joe biden was very proud that the uh Caucasians becoming a minority. Yeah, and you know, it's bound to happen. You know, we they, they if you looked at world population, they they're a minority. <laughs> Does that mean we get benefits? Uh, I don't know, and that's uh, that's a don't get me started. <laughs> but the 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 soft racism of low expectations is a problem in this country and, and, that, and that's something that ought to be talked about more I mean you know, just just think a little bit about the fact that having to, to get 
photo ID to register to vote and present that photo ID to cast your ballot is somehow or another racist. Is that, you know, how racist is it, is it for somebody to think that that's racist because they think that because of somebody's skin color, they will have trouble getting a photo ID? Well, let me ask you this because you're, you're smart. Yeah. Why do large corporations care? They're trying to virtue signal. Oh. And, and gain and curry favor. Because <laughs> they certainly don't care about China. Yeah. Some of their policies. When was the last time you heard them talk about the Uyghurs and what China's doing to their Muslim minorities in far western China provinces and the concentration camps basically that are going on there? Um, where, where's the corporations that are pulling out of China? Jeez. Yet, you know, we have Major League Baseball moving the all-star game from Georgia to Colorado when Colorado's voting laws are actually more restrictive than the ones they passed in Georgia. They actually have a shorter window for absentee balloting than Georgia's new law has in it. They require ID to register. You know, you know, I think this sums it up. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Yep. But we'll see what we're going to look at next week on the Bo's Nose Show when we find out what's in that actual proposal to declare racism as a public health emergency here in Lane County. And uh, we'll talk about other stuff, I'm sure, too. My guess is COVID will still be in the air and the legislators going to still be meeting. And we've got all sorts of other things we can continue to talk about here on the Bo's Nose Show every Wednesday, 4 o'clock Pacific, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. And place your bets now whether or not the computer is going to work. <laughs> Over and out.